the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 171, recorded Friday, November 28th, 2014. Screen Creep. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audio, visual, news, and information. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. Welcome. Happy day after Thanksgiving. If you're watching this live, I do hope that your uh, levels of tryptophan have have subsided. If you're shopping on Black Friday still, like my wife is, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Eastern, God help you all. So, uh, all right. Uh, first up, George Tucker, engineering co- coordinator for World Stage and the World's most beautiful lover of of alliteration, George Tryptophan Tucker. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm all right, recovering. It was a late night, too much wine, too much turkey, but it was enjoyed by all. Good, good. Uh, also with this is Harry Mead. Uh, Harry is, uh, his lower third says behind enemy lines because he's actually uh, just outside of uh, Pittsburgh, PA. Uh, and Harry is a Ravens fan. So how are you, sir? Uh, pretty good. I actually even managed to survive going to the gym this morning with my Ravens hat on. Wow, impressive! Wow, it, yes. hel- it helps that they're better than the than the than the Steelers this year. Actually, they're everybody in the AFC North is pretty much tied up in almost first. Could be and worse. You better could be than almost every other division. You could you you could be a fan of somebody in the NFC South. So, uh, <laughs> if you didn't see those yesterday uh, and you're a fan of football, uh, I think the leading. The 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 Falcons are leading it with four, at four and seven. So. I, I heard a uh, somebody who was an NFC South fan actually posted. I think the NFC South should just give up its playoff spot to the AFC North and just be done with it. Now, see, I think the Bears should go into the a- NFC South because then they could actually win the win win a spot in the playoffs. So, oh, yeah. uh, speaking of the Bears, my buddy, my pal Sam Malik from ASK Proxima, a beautiful Bears. Uh, uh, logo behind him because he is originally from Chicago. How are you, sir? Hey, Tim. How you doing? Yeah, Bears fan to the end, uh, even after yesterday's embarrassing <laughs> loss. You know what? At least it wasn't that that uh, that Packers game from a couple weeks ago. That one was. Mm. I had a cousin that, of mine. That's an old-fashioned beatdown. Yeah, yeah that, that was indeed. That was indeed, and it was the hands of the Packers. Not you know, to, to, you know, which which just made, kind of made it worse. Uh, all right. I don't watch football, and I knew about it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> by the way, did you see? Speaking of uh, George is a hockey, f- even by people who don't normally watch. Yeah, George is a. I was gonna say if Tucker knows about it in, and it's in football, <laughs> that's oh, that's bad. Uh, our our friend and our, our buddy uh, Bradford Ben uh, is a hockey fan, just like Mr. Tucker is a huge one. I'm I'm a cursory fan. I'm in St. Louis, so we have the Blues. There you go. Uh, Bradford is a huge um, Devils fan, and the Blues have signed Mr. Martin Brodeur. They have signed him. Yeah. Uh, well, they're bringing him in for, for some workouts, but that was, I saw that, and I was like, hmm, Bradford should know about that. So, uh, all right, let's talk some AV. Uh, this week we're going to hit um, 
Talk about the the world's biggest and most expensive digital piece of digital signage. Uh, I'll give you two guesses where it is. Um, and the first one doesn't count. It's actually in Times Square. Uh, talk about scope creep. Uh, you didn't give me a chance to guess. I'm sorry. I'll give you a chance next when we actually talk about it. Uh, Showrooming and uh, uh, Infocom has released they are their uh, list of of uh, classes during uh, ISE uh, 2015. So we'll talk about that. But first, something that we've been talking about kind of off and on the last couple months uh, on this episode on this show is uh, getting home automation into middle America, getting home automation into you know the the middle income range. And to that end, uh, interesting piece this week from CE Pro. Uh, and our friend Julie Jacobson, Home Depot has hired a dedicated home automation director. Um, quote, uh, home, home Depot has made some valiant efforts in the home automation business so far, launching the Wink Smart Home Platform in July of this year and slowly adding to the store's smart home offerings. That is changing now with the appointment of Amanda Perilli as Home Depot's first director of home automation, hired recently to champion the category both internally and to the masses, end quote. Mr. Tucker, uh, what does this mean uh, for the home automation uh, segment, especially in, in, in trying to get into uh, the, middle, uh, the, the middle income uh, arena for, for home automation? I, I'm not sure. Everybody's making a stab at it. Um, just like we talked a few weeks back, AT&T with their U-verse and other companies trying to become the dog. We're still in the shakeout period. Everybody's trying to get an angle. Everyone's trying to see if their install base or their common customer base is the one that will take off and make them much more money using and making this happen. I'm not quite clear with Home Depot because here's my fear. When Julie first tweeted this story out and with a link back to CE Pro, my first response was, yeah, for the first four months, it'll be fantastic. And then they're going to hire the uh, Walmart door greeters to be the guys in the front of it, because that's what happens at every Home Depot. <laughs> you get the really good guys. And then about four months down the line, they get rid of all the good plumbers and they put them into the new store that's opening. And they leave the local guys who most of them don't know what they're talking about. I think it's going to be just much the same for them. I don't think even with an evangelist, they're really dedicated to it. I just I don't see it. That is kind of what she she almost part of her her job description, right? Uh, not only championing this internally, but also quote unquote to the masses. She is kind of an, an evangelist. That's almost like her her job description. Mm. Um, and, and some of that seems to be you know pushing a rock uphill a little bit um, because lots of people have tried, right? I mean, Nest has made a, a great headway, uh, but Nest is is kind of more in the internet of things camp than the control, you know, home automation camp. Yes, it's an automated um, thermostat because it learns, you know, your 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 life and, and, how, and when you're home and when you're not and what you like temperature wise. But it's not, you know, it's not a full automation uh, suite. So, uh, Sam, kick it, uh, we'll ask you the same question. Uh, before you went to, to ASK, you were also involved um, in your you know, earlier iterations of your career. You did a lot with, with uh, consumer electronics and dealing with the public. What does this mean uh, for trying to get into the into middle market uh, with home automation? You know, I, I think it's an interesting approach. Um, the Home Depot near me, I was in there last weekend quite a bit, and I saw the, the display, the, the Wink Nest display, um, nobody there knew anything about what the product was. 
Um, I, I reviewed the article, uh, you know, comments from Amanda Perilli. I think, first of all, they need a face more, more like George Tucker to be that evangelist. <laughs> it's going to make it a more believable story. Amanda's probably a very educated uh, person in terms of marketing and how to reach the market, but she's not the face of home automation at Home Depot. You know, uh, I would much more believe somebody like George. George, you've got a believable face. Um, but you I know, know I, I went in and asked some. <laughs> I went in and asked some questions. They had no idea how it hooked up. Um, they said probably go online is the best way to learn about the product, and uh, you know it, it was kind of disappointing. Um, I just upgraded my uh, HVAC system here at the house, and I was very interested in that type of control. But you know it's it's a four hundred dollars starting investment plus the add-on pieces, and. Uh, I don't know. Just didn't get me excited enough to pull the trigger and do anything. Okay, so that that first of all, they're going to have to work on the on the price point on that, right? Because uh, both AMX and Crestron have starter kits that are just over fifty bucks or a hundred bucks than that. And granted, I'm in the industry, but I would I would tend to trust Crestron or AMX to my home automation that I would something called Wink. So. Well, but you're still forgetting that it's the do-it-yourself. Yeah. I want this home automation. I want that lifestyle, but I don't want to pay a lot, and I don't want this guy coming into my house. But yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll give you, you that. Know, I mean, that's that's really the thing, isn't it? I mean, you put install your own TVs these days. Back when, <laughs> back in the '50s, they bought a radio guy, and a radio guy would make sure it was properly set up and would put an antenna up for you. Made sure your tubes were correct. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think this is a great market opportunity for the, the CDA installers, the guys that have been going into homes and hooking up TVs and uh, hanging plasmas on wall or projectors. And those are the guys that are trusted and generally work for a little bit less. They're the home automation guys that I think most people would trust, and they've already got an inroad into that, that market. Yeah. Uh, all right, Harry, you are our, our token uh, uh, programmer uh, for the day. Uh, what does this mean uh, from your standpoint? You do, granted, you, you do more government work, but from a programmer standpoint, what does this mean for, for automation and, and home programming? Um, I think that it will be, I don't think it's going to take anything really away from the the companies that are doing it. You're going to get the, the little tiny jobs are going to come out of this. Okay. You're not, I, nobody's going to nobody's going to use something like this for a 5000 square foot home that they're doing multiple zones of all this other happiness and 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 everything else what i've noticed with home depot especially in their home networking home i guess automation but uh in smart home i guess to to pull a term from a couple of years ago um they have a bunch of parts, and they have a bunch of things that you can do in order to get these things done. My house has been wired up almost exclusively with Home Depot parts. Home Depot box from Leviton that has the punch-down block in it yeah. for all my phone and, and network stuff. Um all the all the wall plates, everything else, so that it just seems like just a natural outgrowth of of that because they, I mean, again, they're not going to have your full scale big stuff, but they're going to be able to have somebody who's who wants to turn on and off a few lights um, with all of the Lutron that they have in the next aisle, and then 
the uh, and then be able to control their thermostat, control a couple of things, and not have to have a salvaged AMX system from 1995 like I do. And, and some some X10 thrown in there to you know for good measure. So. You got to rub the X10 in me. I you do. Just got to rub it in. No, it's it's a good thing. You're a, you're such a fabulous engineer that your X10 is still working. That, yeah, that's... only be, only because I rapidly figured out that CFLs don't work with it after I burned out two of my friggin' dimmers. <laughs> uh, let me ask a, a little bit wider question because this is something that I deal with, and, and Harry and I, is, and I have talked about this a little bit. Could this, if if uh, this new director gets the evangelism going right, and and to Sam's point, nobody at, at the Home Depot knew anything about this. If if she can get. You know the the troops, I guess, as it were, in Home Depot ramped up and and educated on on how this works and evangelizing it from from the storefront out. Could this be um, a new frontier? Not frontier. That's that's too grandiose. But uh, but a new. Um, All right, Shatner. Thank you. Um, uh, I just watched the new Star Wars trailer. Uh, so so did I. It was awesome. <laughs> Um, I watched it just before I got on here. <laughs> it was it was really cool. So I was gonna say, let's talk about the real news. Star no, Wars trailer dropped today. <laughs> um, but the, could this be a new, a new source for you know burgeoning programmers, Harry? I mean, some people that that are are interested in in this enough to you know it piques their interest and hey, I'd like to know more. And so we go, okay, here's a here's a more complicated version of what you're what you're doing. Possibly because I mean you've always I, I think. It's going to appeal to the tinkerers. That's all right. Yeah, the guys, who, the guys who mess around with their house. Like before, I even really even got into AV, and I was using X10, and I was setting timers, and I was doing different things, and and all of that stuff. Even before I managed to salvage my twenty-year-old AMX system, it, uh, it it it's going to appeal to those guys, and. I'm not sure how much further they want to go because a lot of those guys are just weekend warriors that are just having fun in their house and, and messing around with something and giving them something to do that the wife isn't telling them how to do it. Okay. That's, <laughs> I, I, think it's, uh, I think it's potentially a good opportunity, Tim, because, I mean, I could see an entire aisle dedicated to this technology at, at a Home Depot or Lowe's or, or whatever. I think now that the smartphone technology has, has come forward quite a bit, uh, iPhone sixes and, and and the new you know Samsungs, etc. You know, I want more control over things, so I, I think it's only going to be natural that that grows more and more. Um, the Lutron Isle is more interesting to me right now than the than the current home automation offerings. If I was uh, Amanda Pirelli, I would I would get a supply of that product and give it to everybody that works in this store if they mm -hmm. commit to installing it in their home so that they become experts and know it. The profit potential on those products is huge. Even at, oh, yeah. if they lower the prices that they have today, that's a new market and they're going to make a lot more money on that than they will raw lumber. So I think they would welcome the opportunity to sell those products. Yeah. But if they don't educate their staff and at least give all the management, you know, a full complement of those products to go install in their house so that they really know how it works, what it does, how they control it. And not only that, that'll get them excited. They'll be pulling out the phone going, look, I can show you a video of my driveway and I'm going to change my thermostat right now and this is the coolest thing. And, and that's how you evangelize. That's how you get people excited about it. 
I think part of what this is is something we talked about back at Infocom this year was the fact that all it's going to take is somebody big to jump in to the home automation market. We thought it might be Apple with their uh, with their Apple stuff, but I haven't heard a lot of that since uh, since it came out. But it's just going to take somebody big to jump in and who can who can bully the end units a little bit more than an AMX or Crestron can into oh by the way we're offering home automation uh, like if if Apple just using them as an example yeah. and I am so not an Apple evangelist but if Apple were to come out and say this is our home automation platform this is our protocols if you want to be included in our iHome automation, you need to be using these protocols, and all the manufacturers would jump on that. Whereas you can't, there's been some success with like a Crestron Inside or AMX Inside type type thing with some of the display guys, but you're not going to get widespread adoption of that until somebody big jumps in and when somebody big jumps in say again just using Apple as an example it's going to be so that anyone can do it or any anyone with who can operate their smartphone will be able to program their home automation system and then it's going to pro and then it's going to jump into well if I can program this at home why can't I do this at the office yeah yeah. Which has been which has been so many things that I've seen recently. Well, that that and wireless, you know, wireless video is also one of those things that that you know I can do this at home. The, the one problem with the Apple model, though, yeah, is that Apple changes the way they do things every quarter. I mean, we've all heard the story about the uh, iPods back in the day when all the manufacturers, the control manufacturers, were making ports, and of course, remember when they stopped working because they changed the twenty-five pin port configuration when they released the new Nano colors. Mm-hmm. And nobody worked. Not the uh, GMs, not the Hummers, not the Crestron ports. All because they went, oh, yeah, we forgot to tell you. <laughs> they don't play nice with people that way. And I think that's part of why Apple's never gone really full into the home automation thing. Because home automation in that level is hard. And they don't like being bound into not being able to change with an infrastructure that they can't control. So it would be Apple products only. Oh yeah, I, I I think if anybody's gonna do it, it's gonna be either a Microsoft or a Google or something like that is gonna jump in. There, I I think of of the big ones, they're the they're more likely than Apple because Apple's gonna want it to be their entire universe from front to yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, they want the infrastructure along with everything else. Well, and uh, one of the Uverse has an opportunity, I suppose. Home Depot might, but here's my problem with the Home Depot thing. And you said that you know maybe it'll bring somebody in who's interested. I think you'll get the person who wants it in their house, but the hobbyist who then makes the next level of being a programmer, probably not. And for two quick one, the chips and the and the and brains are getting much much smarter, and they're going to do more for you. So there's really not any thought process other than maybe a logic tree of when I have this light on, that light goes off, or <laughs> it's a three-way switch, not a two-way switch. Um, and second, they don't really want a lot of flexibility needs because the idea with Home Depot is selling boxes. They're cheap to make. You make a profit off the volume. That's what you're selling is volume. You're not selling the other services. You're not making money off the software from people like Home Depot uh, buyers. You're making money on boxes. And that's a limited thing to make money off of. 
and still keep it flexible and have that next level set. I just don't see it. But they could, though. I mean, I guess I guess I, I, I'm going back to to AV world, where one of the buzzwords is services. Right? Um, you know, most integrators that I talk to nowadays, they're still trying to put together a business plan uh, that revolves around, or at least has a component of selling services to their clients, because you know, whether it's you know a, a, a maintenance agreement or it's you know taking care of things remotely. A lot of integrators are trying to ramp that up and Home Depot could, you know, or any other box store, instead of just selling the boxes, they could create, you know, this whole services model where yes, you're selling the boxes, but you're also selling other things too. They could, but do they actually, I mean, they, they would pretty much have to follow the, some of the same, some of the same way it appears they're doing some some of their other things like uh, HVAC or mm-hmm. Windows or whoever else is sitting there at the front when you walk in through the door um, as being a third party working for Home Depot. So okay. in that way they in that way they may bring in some of the Cedia type guys. They may have okay we're going to give you this territory. You can show up on a Saturday and have your display in in Home Depot and get people to sign up for a uh, consultation. And they'll you you'll use the products that are in the back, but you'll make them all work. And yeah. yeah, that sounds. I just don't see Home Depot going into the services thing. They would have done it years I, ago. I, they do it with anything they else. They third party everything, and it doesn't yeah. work right. It, yeah, no, they, I had to put in a screen door once. It sucked. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, I'm 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 right there with you. That's why I say I think if if they do anything, it's going to be a third party situation, and uh, um, it hasn't worked out great so far. So I wouldn't hold out much hope that it's going to work out great now. Yeah, I have uh, I, I have a, a built in um, handyman to put in my screen doors. Uh, it's called my dad. So <laughs> <laughs> really, I uh, seriously I, that that yeah. I am still I'm 40 years old and I'm still learning how to do things from him. So, uh, just I guess because he knows too much and you know every once in a while he'll teach me something new. So, uh, all right, times. I'm sorry, uh, Harry. Where's the biggest uh, display in the world? My house Thank after you Black Friday. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good night. Times Square, a 24 million LED pixel screen. It's been touting. It's been touted as the world's largest high-definition digital signage. This sucker is a hundred yards long and eight stories tall. If you want it for a month, it'll be a cool two and a half million dollars. And the first company to sign up for it, Google, just because they have two and a half million dollars just lying around, mm-hmm. and they wanted to do it. Um, Harry, we'll kick this off with you. What does this say about the state of digital signage and and displays in general? That first of all, we can do this, and secondly, we have done this. Uh, It says that A, we can do anything, and B, Blade Runner is right around the corner. (laughs) Very nice. Very well done. (laughs) Dystopia, here we come. Dystopia, here we come. So that and Hunger (laughs) Games is the number one movie. So... uh, Sam, what does this uh, what does this say about the the digital signage market and the display market in general uh, that we have created? Somebody has created, not not me personally, but but we have created a freaking you know hundred foot by eight hundred foot uh, display. 
Well, you know, now the personal tanning is out of the question for New York <laughs> because you can just walk in front of the sign and, and turn whatever color you want. Um, you know, advertising-wise, um, when I was with Toshiba, we put up an LED signboard right below where the ball drops, and we paid uh, we paid $4 million to have that sign up there for two years plus the cost of the sign. Hmm. So, I mean, obviously it gets you a lot of recognition. Um, a sign that big is just... That's just insane. Um, I thought the most impressive LED sign was the one hanging in the Dallas Cowboys Stadium up until I watched the video this morning of the one at Times Square. Um, did some quick show prep, and at, at uh, $140 million and 300,000 people a day visit or see this sign, your cost per impression is $1.27 per person, which is not very high. No. You know, uh, you can pay off that sign in a year. Um, God, that's obnoxious, though. I mean, that thing was just huge and bright, and it was incredible. I watched the countdown and watched it light up, and then people started beeping their horns and everything, and I don't know if it was because of the sign or just usual New York City traffic. Uh, from a digital science perspective, I mean, there there is no limit at this point. I mean, that is huge. And it, I noticed it wrapped all the way around the building. The yeah. video was wrapping around the building incredible feat in terms of programming, uh, brightness. I'd love to see the service contract on that. So when a panel or some pixels go out, um, that's gotta be a lot of fun. Uh, you don't know whose LED product that is inside, do you? I, I do not personally. Does anybody else know what uh, who they use for inside that? I do uh, not, but I suspect it might be one of the Chinese men's. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. I mean, just incredible display. So hurrah for uh, digital signage and whoever installed that beast, uh, whoever has to maintain it. But, I mean, you could literally wrap anything at this point. Uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mr. Tucker, you are, uh, well, geographically the closest one to us uh, to, mm. to, to that. Um, I, I was, uh, I did some, some research and, and read some New York Times articles and uh uh, a few uh, uh, BBC did a couple stories on it and interviewed some New Yorkers, and it was fifty-fifty. It was half, oh my lord, it's obnoxious, like like Sam said, and the other half was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, first of all, from the AV standpoint, and then I want to get your your stamp your your perspective as a New Yorker. Um, what does it say about you know where we are in AV that that we're able to accomplish this? Well, it means that yeah, first of all, digital signage is the king of all media. Um, it's especially in a place like Times Square in New York uh, that we can do it is amazing. I mean, we've talked about what my company World Stage did with mm -hmm. some upfronts. I mean, something like 1,142 of those barcode tiles in a single moving set. I mean, <laughs> there's really cool stuff you can do with these things now. They are at the age and the maturity and reliability that, and especially outside, that thing's going to last a good long time, long enough, as, as Sam said, to make your money back on your impression per person and what they sell, they sell. It, it is a really cool technology. You can map stuff with this. You can make all kinds of dimensional. You know, it could really freak people out if you if you map it correctly and get some of that that, that graphics done right. Um, what I think it says about Times Square is that print is dead. <laughs> there is no billboard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, this is by CBS. CBS owns all yes. those billboards and all those things out here in New York. Uh, that's one of their major businesses. But it, it is pretty darn incredible. Uh, walking past it, it is bright as all get out. Um, but it, it's more of a distraction, but that's Times Square. Uh, you know, you, you either are looking up with your mouth agog or you're in a car or walking straight ahead with your head down going, get out of my way, tourist. So it's one of the two things happening. 
Oh, oh so good night. You've got, you've got all the people lining up to the uh, to the uber cheap clothing stores from all over the world and having their pictures taken when they show up on screen. And then you got the New Yorkers going, get out of my way, I want to go to work. Get out of my way, I want to go to home. <laughs> get out of my way, I need a bagel and a coffee. So, Sam, what were they honking at? I think they were honking at the fact that the, uh, the, the film crews were in their way. Get out of the way. <laughs> I have places to go and people to yell at, you know? Yes, oh. exactly. All right. Uh, this comes from, uh, well, the, the article is from AV Network, but I, I saw this, I tweeted it, I favored it, I did everything I could. This, this, this article made me jump up and down and go, yes, please. Scope creep, inevitable, preventable, and manageable. I think they might be a little naive about the preventable and manageable, the, the, the preventable part, but hey. Uh, they, they go on to say the, the article starts off with the right play, the right practices in place can minimize, minimize, not eliminate, minimize unexpected changes in project breadth. Uh, uh, waffling right from the beginning. Well, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> George, oh, from, from your standpoint and, and world stage, not only does uh, really wonderful live up front, the, the upfronts for a number of the, uh, the major broadcasters. But you guys also do uh, installs as well. Broadcast, yeah. Uh, no, but you also do installs as far as, you know, AV installs. Uh, you've got uh, not anymore. We not used anymore? to. Okay. Well, we, do, we do broadcast. All right. Broadcast. Uh, um, but you still do projects. How do, how do we manage scope creep? Well, I mean, first of all, isn't this what Apex is about? Yes. From Infocom. Uh, right off the bat there, you're talking about process procedures uh, and having everything written out. Uh, one of the things the article does go into, he says, hey, you can show technologically what's supposed to happen, and they can sort of accept that. Your scope creep gets into, you know, changing the touchscreen 500 times, right? Because they didn't like that color of purple, or the button is too far to the left, or they want Aunt B's picture in the corner. I don't know. Um, but one of the things they mentioned was where it gets installed. The aesthetics of how that projector is hung, or that monitor, or where that equipment is. That's really sort of something where I think a lot of companies need to hire a, an artist of some sort, or you get your CAD guy to show it in that rivet file how it would look in the living room. Because you get the people who would say, oh my god, that's great, I want the smoked glass window with all the lights behind it because that's I'm showing it off in my house. And then you get a large portion of those people who want it hidden away in the basement, and it's only the interface that you ever see. And those two things can, can really cause you a lot of grief and scope creep and you need to be talking to your client all the time hey we finished phase one I'm a big big fan of phase contracts yeah. phase one we're gonna do this phase two we're gonna do that at the beginning of phase two we're gonna sit down and go here's what happened in phase one here's where we're going changes are we all in agreement good because they can never be that well I didn't know and it's hard it's a lot of work but it's the only thing I've ever seen really work to say that's how you stop losing money on these creeps. Yeah, Sam, that was one thing that that always gets me is the fact that you know scope creep is not only annoying, it, it's a cost. You know, it, it it tends to suck your your profit out of a project. Uh, so from a manufacturer standpoint, uh, which you have been for quite a few years, you know, how do you help? I guess how do you help the client, your your client, uh, and the end user uh, work around uh, scope creep and, and managing it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that we have a lot of input from the manufacturer standpoint. Um, I agree with Dale Botcher from AVISPL that your installer is kind of the first responder, right? It, they have to kind of be on the watch. 
listening to what's going on, not just banging in equipment, but but there's cues. It's like playing poker with somebody. You've got to watch for the tells, right? And you've been out on one job after another. You have to, you know, pay attention to what's going on around you because you'll get a reaction. Um, I agree uh, that as each step, as you complete each part of the job, you have a checklist. Hey, we're at this phase one, phase two, phase three. That can eliminate it. One of the frustrating things or the angle that I saw uh, on this discussion item is um, I work with a lot of architects and consultants. And what we've realized is on education, school installations, K through 12 for projectors, the consultants are copying, cut and paste previous jobs. So they're really not going to the site. They're not researching the job and they just cut and paste. Well, this is another school with 45 classrooms and we're going to use this product and this mount and they just cut and paste it together without actually doing the proper research. So then when, you know, you're the integrator and you're out on site and you start to install that gear and you realize it was a cookie cutter cut and paste type of project that the consultant recommended that's when you get into problems because they never actually were on site. They never saw the job. They just spec the bid for 45 classrooms without knowing that there's asbestos on the ceiling or there's HVAC exposed pipes that are halfway between the projector and the screen and all these types of things. And um, that's what I've seen a lot more of lately. And you're right, the, the integrator, the dealer, the installer, they can give up all their profit uh, very quickly when they run into these problems because it wasn't spec properly. The trend I've seen lately being on the projector business with ASK Proxima is that uh, many of the dealers, the integrators are walking away through the K through 12 business, which was a mainstay five years ago. And they're more focused, focused on the, the corporate side of things because it's documented. There's a contract. Here's what you're going to get. Here's what we're going to do. This is what you can expect the final result is. This is when we expect to get paid. And it goes smoothly like that versus a, uh, a board of advisors in a school system that's really not technology people. And they really don't know. They know they want to have an image on the screen for the instructor to use, the, the teacher. But you know they're just not professional about the installs like you would find in a, a more corporate type environment. So that's yeah, a big concern. Uh, if you're not a professional company and and you have this down and you know how to go out and do a job, install it and get it done, potentially it could be a big loss for your company as these, you know, ideas, problems, suggestions come up that change the scope of the install from what was originally bid or planned. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Harry, from, from your standpoint, uh, at uh, your company, CCS, uh, on, the, on the East Coast, um, how do we manage these things? It's got to start, um, for me, it's got to start with setting expectations at a sales level at, right from the get-go. Setting expectations and working with whomever you're working with within your company to, to craft a scope of work that's tight. You need a tight scope of work so that you have something to refer back to when you're finished of, okay, we accomplished A, B, C, and D. A, B, C, and D. Bam. Done. It works. It's to spec. Now buy it. No. <laughs> now sign off. Now sign off. And a lot of times what I'll do, because I, I flip back and forth wearing a bunch of different hats, what I'll do is I'll tell the customers, okay, 
you're already starting to notice a couple of little things that you may or may not like. We give you, I think we give them 45 days, 60 days, something like that, of come up with, if you if there's something that's not functioning the way that you want, control system-wise, we'll come out at the end of that period and take care of the nips, tucks, whatever that had to happen with that, but also drive it for a little while and then see if there's another function that you really wanted that wasn't necessarily covered in this. And then that's when we come in with a, uh, with a possible change order. For an example, a, uh, I'm, I've been working on a system or a bunch of systems in a building um, for a company and we kind of had three models. We had the small conference room, we had a medium conference room, and the boardroom. The boardroom had a bunch of bells and whistles, oh, yeah. projector comes out of the ceiling, a couple of beamformer mics, it, it's all good. Um, medium was a scaled down, no VTC. Smalls were basically a mondo pad on the wall with a uh, with some DM to get it from the table. Um <laughs> They're doing some other, some work on another floor, and they've decided they want to put in another small conference room. But they said, okay, so we see how we're using the small conference rooms now for the last six months. We want to go ahead and add Apple TV into it because we've standardized on iStuff. Um, and we want to have a, a, a little bit of uh, background control in it so that, uh, so that somebody when they lose the remote you can still operate it uh, easily and so they've added that to that small conference room and now we're gonna go back and we're gonna do it to the other two that were in the initial job to bring them up to, up to the new spec yeah so that's that's how we've been been trying to roll is drive it for a little while then start figuring out what you want to do and see that that to me makes sense, right? Um, what doesn't make sense, and, and this is where some of the scope creep happens a lot of times. Um, the client, and, and you can do this in residential, or you can do this in commercial. It goes it goes either way, where either they'll read something, they'll see something, or they'll visit someone else's facility, <laughs> and they'll say, "Hey, by the way, I would re I thought this was really neat. Can we do this? I don't care what this is." And the answer from the salesperson nine times out of ten is yes, absolutely. <laughs> and the answer from the engineer and the programmer's standpoint is, excuse me, you did what? You know, you, you said we could do what? Uh, yes, that can be done. You know, yes, I can change out an entire VTC and, you know, get the directory and this, that, and the other, which, you know, you didn't tell me you wanted to do except for, you know, five minutes ago. Yes, that's possible. It will also take, you know, a couple of hours of engineering, three pieces of equipment, and the programmers will t take another five or six hours to reprogram what you just added. So yes, it is possible, but you just either cost the customer more money or sucked a bunch of profit out of the project. So Well, and that's what we've been trying to, to teach the salespeople. Yes, that can be done. Let me get a price for you on that. Exactly. Yes. That's that that that's the, the, the second <laughs> half of that sentence is the important part. Mm -hmm. Let me get a price for you on that because it ain't free. No. Okay, and 
I've been having a a minor battle over pay over getting people to pay for design. It's like, well, how much how many hours do you think we're sitting in the back working on your jobs to make them function? None. It's magic. It just happens. Better thing. Go ahead, George. Sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on you. No, I stepped on you. Go ahead. Uh, that comes back to Sam saying there's the cookie cutter thing. Why are there cookie cuttering? Because no one wants to pay for the design, so you're given a pro forma template. I hope I said that right. Um, I think you did. Yeah. To, to use because it's the inexpensive way to do it, and then the install guys should figure it out before they go on with a site survey saying, hey, then we have to buy X amount of dollars more in mounts or stuff to get this mount to work, but that's what they're doing it for. Design is important. You're right, Harry. I'm right with you, and yes, it can be done. Here, let me get a price. But they don't want to pay for design, so everyone's just putting out cookie cutters and saying, we'll make it work, you know, mix, we'll fix it in the mix. Uh, it doesn't know what <laughs> fix out, it right? in post, yeah. Fix it in post. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and some of that's also probably, and I don't know this for a fact, but this is my own two cents, probably the, the rise in popularity of the huddle space is some of that, right? You throw a, you throw a, a display up there, you hook up, a, hook up a couple cables, yeah, maybe you've got something that manages it in the middle, whether it's wireless or wired, but eh. Yeah. Well, who, well, how much is it? To, how long does it take to design that? You know, it's all internets. It's all internets. It's all wireless. <laughs> so, all right, guys. Uh, it's the day after Thanksgiving, and we're gonna, you know, kind of wrap this one up a little early. Uh, real quickly, uh, Infocom has released their list of courses, and I say Infocom uh, for ISC 2015 because in ISC Integrated Systems Europe is half Infocom and half Cedia, so uh, Cedia will release theirs probably this week, actually. Uh, but Infocom has released theirs. They're doing needs and analysis for end-user requirements, digital audio protocols, uh, design documentation and tendering, understanding multi-channel pro uh, projection, 4K and streaming. Yay! That one will be interesting. Uh, collaboration in the BYOD uh, era. Network administrators cracking the code. That one is, yeah, that one's needed. Uh, and then in-store analysis, uh, uh, analytics rather. Uh, improving, improve the ROI of your digital signage solution and enhance your customer experience at the same time. We'll put a link up to the story and, and also how you can, how you can um, uh, apply to go to, to ISC 2015. Uh, and we're trying to go to ISC 2015. Uh, we've done a Kickstarter thing. Halfway there. We're halfway there. Uh, we got about a week to go, uh, depending on when you watch and or listen to this podcast. Uh, it ends on the 10th of December. So uh, if you can't give us anything, just pass it along to somebody, you know, your rich uncle or somebody right there. Uh, it's about 10 grand to send three of us. Um, uh, the more we get, the more guys and, and gals we can bring. So uh, check that out if you would, please. There's a, there's a link uh, on the show notes. So. Uh, all right, gentlemen. Uh, Sam Malik from ASK Proxima. Thank you, sir. Good to see you, Tim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. How can people uh, get a hold of you or ASK Proxima? www. I guess we don't have to say that anymore. ASKproximausa.com. Right. We've good. got videos on all the product, all that good stuff there. And uh, uh, speaking on the ISE thing, I don't know if you guys have ever been there. It's a fantastic show. Uh, Three or four times the size of a U.S. Infocom and uh, very unique. So I think uh, I think it'll be very interesting for you and all the listeners to attend. Yeah, uh, we are we are certainly hoping. I have not personally ever been. I don't think George has either. Um, so yeah, we are we are certainly hoping to, to hit it up. Uh, Harry Mead from CCS Mid Atlantic. Thank you, sir. Thank you. 
So, before you ask the question, yes. Mr. A.V. Dawn on Twitter, <laughs> since I'm still underneath her friggin' shadow. You should change it. I'm seriously thinking about it now that I've actually tweeted more than just six weeks around Infocom. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, have, have you noticed that I have still been tweeting? I have noticed. Although, uh, although know? here's the thing. It's, it's very cute and romantic from a whole touchy-feely, squishy perspective. It is. You're she's A.V. Dawn. You're Mr. A.V. Dawn. It's very, it's very cute. I was gonna say, wait till you see the Christmas sweaters. Anyway, okay. the uh, um, <laughs> A.V. sweater competition. Yes. But uh, the yeah, so that may change. But yeah, using the hashtag, still tweeting. Mm -hmm. Um. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Mr. A.V. Dawn, uh, Harry on Harry Mead on Facebook. Harry Mead on LinkedIn, all that other happiness. Uh, CCS Mid-Atlantic is our website, um, and you can see us there. Very cool. All right. Uh, last and certainly not least, the left side of my brain, Mr. George Tucker from World Stage. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And they can find me at Tucker2's Commercial Integrator, various other publications. Uh, I'm out there. Tech Decisions. Put my name, find it. Yeah, Tech, de tech Decisions as well. Yeah, tech decisions yeah. on occasion when I can write a nice missive. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. All right. Uh, yeah, don't don't follow me. Uh, it's boring. It's usually about bears, and yesterday it wasn't pretty. Um, uh, but go by the website, if you would, please, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. Goodness gracious. Uh, there's an awful lot of people writing for us and, and doing things that are really cool. Uh, we have two brand spanking new shows. One is... Uh, the Tech Wrap with our buddy uh, Phil Cordell, who has penned and recorded a uh, a song for the aforementioned AV Sweater Competition, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, and our buddy Tony Zotti uh, has started one about AV networking uh, called the POE Show, so, so check that out if you would please. Also, uh, uh, with our friend uh, John Green and Advanced AV, we are putting together a, we're calling it an AV Sweater Competition. Uh, some people have have referred to it as the ugly Christmas sweater or the ugly holiday sweater competition. Eh, if, you that, if that's the, the angle you want to take, but we're calling it the AV sweater competition. Uh, if you're on social media, it's the hashtag AV sweater. So just take a picture of yourself and your AV sweater um, and uh, the winning, uh, the uh, the best or worst, however you want to look at it, uh, AV sweater will get some some nice gift cards from the guys at Advanced AV. So Mine's electrified. That, see, that's cool. You know that that right there is is it, is it LEDs or, or incandescent yeah. LEDs? LEDs, if only they, the best. You know what? If somebody can come up with one that has incandescent lighting, that would be that would be killer, or track lighting. So, uh, but yeah, I'm check that out. When it comes to my AV sweater, <laughs> I think I'm just gonna go with wind power. Ah, solar, <laughs> solar. <laughs> All right, uh, yeah. So check that out. Avnation.tv. Avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been AV Week.